You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. So tonight we're continuing our Again series. This has been going on for the past three to four weeks. Um, and I personally have been inspired and challenged by some of the messages that have come from this. So if you haven't heard them, jump back on our podcast or on YouTube and um, you can catch um, up right there. But um, how many of us know how easy it is to feel discouraged, to feel like sometimes we're working hard thinking, what's the point? Um, you know, but I want to remind you tonight why we are going again. There's this, um, you know, incredible series that we've been doing. We've, we've looked at how we're going to fight again, how we're going to hear again, how we're going to see again. And so tonight I want to talk about how we're going to worship again. When we worship God, we join an activity that began in all eternity before you and I were even here. Even the angels worship God. And I want to look at how worship plays into a few key areas of our lives. Worship begins and ends with God. Worship is about God. It's for God. And most of the time we think worship is actually about us and it starts with what we do. But, you know, sometimes our intentions can be good. We come before God with our prayer, with our worship, with our songs, with our offering, and we, you know, we live our lives telling God how great He is. But we assume that acceptable worship ultimately depends on our efforts, our sincerity, and even our gifts. But it doesn't, and it never will. Our worship adds nothing to the intrinsic glory of who God is. He doesn't command us to worship Him because there's a deficiency in Him. There's actually a deficiency in us. Um, When we need to worship God, we were created to worship Him. So tonight I want to look at four different forms of worship that you may not have been aware of. Um, First one is worship and service. Worship and service go hand in hand. Take the woman with the alabaster jar, for example. You might be familiar with this story, but I'm going to read it from Luke 7, verse 33 to 39. It says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house in the region of Galilee and reclined at the table. Now, there was a woman in the city who was known as a sinner. When she found out that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, She brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began wetting his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and respectfully kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission, and anointed them with perfume. Now, when Simon the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, that she is a notorious sinner, an outcast devoted to sin. You might be thinking, hang on, what does this have to do with worship? I thought worship was coming to church, singing two slow songs, but some of the greatest worship can come from the most unlikeliest of sources. This woman was an outcast who had been used and abused, and yet she's an example to us of what worship is. A few main themes in this story. You don't have to have it all together before you come and worship God. It says that this woman was known to the entire city as a sinner, 
And it's funny because most of us are going around trying to hide our sin, trying to hide our inadequacies and our shortcomings, let alone the boldness this woman had coming before Jesus, surrounded by a room of people that knew everything that she had done. But I want to say this. If there is any pride in you that comes before God, feeling upright and righteous and worthy to come before Him and worship Him, then can I challenge you that you're not really coming before God to worship Him. It says that she brought a jar of perfume. She wet His feet with her tears. We know that tears arise from strong emotions. If we were all going around crying all the time, it would seem um, quite irrelevant. They communicate something inwardly, externally. She wiped his feet with her hair. I don't know about you, but I would not be going around prepared to wipe wipe someone's feet with my hair. But this demonstrated her love for Jesus. So she kissed his feet as an act signifying both affection and submission, and she anointed his feet with perfume. This perfume cost her. I suspect it even would have come at a sacrifice. This woman put herself on the line. She even put her body on the line. I can assure you that she was not self-focused in this moment. Too many of us care what people think, comparing ourselves to those around us, and judging ourselves based on that. This woman was crying at the feet of Jesus. She was wiping his feet with her hair. She kisses his feet, anoints them with perfume. Some of us need to become more undignified before God, just like this woman in the story, just like David did in the Bible. Verse 50 says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith in me has saved you. Go in peace, free from the distress experienced because of sin. I think we all understand that sin naturally has its consequences. And this verse particularly refers to the consequence of sin being distress. Distress in my mind, um, comes. the first thing that comes to my mind is anxiety, maybe panic attacks, even depression. So the opposite of this feeling then is peace. But you cannot know true peace without truly knowing Jesus. And knowing Jesus is the fruit of our worship to him. What happens when we worship? There is an exchange that takes place. Her her worship, which was actually service, she was serving Jesus by washing his feet. It led to her freedom. Freedom from distress, freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation, freedom from the life that she was living, freedom from shame. So by looking at this, we can see that worship leads to breakthrough and breakthrough leads to freedom. Without freedom, there is no power to change. How can there be any change if you're bound up, tied down, if you're stuck in previous mindsets or ruled by your emotions? You know, I was thinking about this. The only good thing about emotions, especially when they appear to be taking over Um, the way that we live our lives, the decisions that we're making. It's that they reveal an external response of an internal distress, that when brought to the feet of Jesus, they can be set free. But I want to go as far to say this, is that if you're constantly in emotional distress, turmoil, upheaval, then I want to challenge you that you probably haven't worshipped God recently. Because coming to the feet of Jesus, worshipping him, demands a response. 
You cannot leave his presence without being touched when you are desperate to encounter him. But there is one more key element to this. Coming to Jesus is simply not enough. You must come to him with faith. How do we know this woman came to Jesus in faith? Well, she was prepared. It cost her. She had already anticipated, already come expecting that she would leave change. She knew she needed him. She brought this jar of perfume to Jesus' feet. So you might look at this and think, well, does that mean worship is selfish in that we come to God when we need him to get what we want? But let's look at this a little bit deeper. This woman knew that only Jesus could save her. I want to suggest that she had tried everything else to fill that void. She would probably gone to different people. She had tried different things. She had um, you know, put herself in situations to try and feel accepted or loved or satisfied. But what it all came to was that this woman knew that only Jesus could save her. She tried to correct her past mistakes. She'd probably tried to get out of the mess herself, but realized that she couldn't. And I want to say this, that, that Jesus doesn't actually want you to go to anyone else or anywhere else but him. The difference of coming to God to get what we want versus coming to him because we need him is that there is true transformation. There is life change and freedom exchange that takes place in that moment, and that is true worship. That is the good news. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus can save us. Buying that jar of perfume, it was never a half-hearted commitment. I imagine that she would have had to have saved up the money or sell off her possessions to obtain it, to buy the perfume. She then would have had to have journeyed to where Jesus was. I can just imagine that on the journey there, she would have already been in emotional turmoil. But she humbled herself to come before Jesus. She didn't let pride get in the way of feelings or justification or defense. She didn't come before Jesus with all of her excuses. She came to him for him to worship him. And her need for Jesus was greater than her love of her sin. Now, did she know what the outcome would be before she poured that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet? My suspicion is no. Had she had known the outcome, then her motives to worship would have been for other reasons. Instead, she risks what people may think of her. She risks what others may say about her because there is something more inside of her that is driving her. This woman was desperate to encounter Jesus. She was desperate for something to change. Something about the words and actions of Jesus caused her to bring her most valuable possession and pour it out as an expression of her love and worship. In one moment, this woman pressed through fear, prejudices, shame, and created one of the most intimate moments of worship in the Bible. She was motivated by love and submission. All she knew was that she needed Jesus more than she needed money, more than she needed the approval of others, more than she needed anything else. So in this moment, there is a transfer of sin that happens as she's washing Jesus his feet. Sin may remind you, is, is simply just something that separates you from God. It's when we think that we know better than God. While she's washing his feet, a very humbling experience, I can imagine, an exchange place takes place, her sins are forgiven. I think sometimes we forget that our sins 
need forgiving. We ignore the fact that certain choices and behaviors or habits in our lives are in fact separating us from God, making us ineffective for his kingdom. The second point I wanna make is worship and money. Another area we see worship and service go hand in hand is money. Matthew 6:24 says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. In other words, you cannot worship God and money. God's, God commands us to worship him because his moral perfection requires it. It is idle worshiping to worship anything other than what is superior to everything else, and only God sits in that category. He doesn't exist as some sort of genie that we summon when we think that we all get, he'll help us get to where we really wanna go if we'll just worship him. God is where we want to go. God's glory is the end of our worship and not simply a means to something else. You may not know this, but everyone worships something or someone. It's obvious we as human beings cannot help but assign ultimate value and worth to something or someone. What we are devoted to, though, will shape our lives and our future. Instead, biblical worship is God-focused, God-centered, and God-exalting. God is clearly seen, he is clearly the priority, and God is clearly honored. This is quite confronting. If you apply this statement to every area of your life, what does that then look like? This is the fact what true worship is. This is the lengths God is asking us to go to. So let me ask you, when you do up a budget of your finances, is that God-focused? When using money, is God clearly the priority? Is God honored with your worth? One step further, is it obvious to others? Our attitude toward money, it reveals our heart attitude toward God. Another example, in your conversation with your friends, is God clearly seen? Is God the priority? Is he honored in your speech and in your language? Lately, I've been feeling like time is more valuable than money. Maybe that's just because I'm trying to plan a wedding at the moment. Life gets busy, but is your time focused on God? Is he even involved in your day? Do you include him in your thoughts throughout the day? Is serving him incorporated into your lifestyle? Honor simply means to place value upon. Pastor Tim talked about this this morning. But the only thing I warn you with this is that worship is not so much about doing all these things for God. If you think that, then you've missed the whole point. Third point I wanna make about worship is corporate worship. We corporately worship so that God will be worshiped and his people will be built up all for his glory. As church and as believers, we affirm this truth together. Worship is singing, worship is thanksgiving, worship is our testimonies, worship is disciplined, levering, offering is a form of worship, so is communion. But these are all expressions of our worship and our love for God. What do all these things do? They ultimately put our focus and our attention back on God. They are a means to changing our focus from what may seem discouraging, disappointing, distracting, 
painful? Can I just remind you that all these things often result because we've been looking at ourselves for too long and they put our focus back on God and all his glory. They remind us of our need for him in this life that's seemingly fragile and fleeting. Take Paul and Silas, for instance, in terms of corporate worship. This story is found in the book of Acts. Greatly annoyed and worn out, Paul and Silas cast this demon out of a slave girl, and somehow they end up in prison. First of all, if they can do such incredible things when they are tired and worn out, what the heck do you think God can do with you when you're worshiping and praising him? Paul and Silas find themselves locked in a prison cell, worshipping at midnight. Things were not going good for them. I imagine that prison cell would have been dark, gloomy, wet, uncomfortable. They would have been hungry. They would have been tired. It wasn't really convenient that they were stuck in that prison. And I want to challenge you, how many of us can't even get ourselves out of bed to come to church on a Sunday in the aircon and worship God? Or how many of ourselves can't go to bed early enough so that we can wake up first thing in the morning and open our Bible and spend time with God? That is a bare minimum. And yet here Paul and Silas find themselves worshiping God in the most inconvenient conditions. But I want to point out a couple of observations about these two. They were physically in the same room. There was two of them worshipping God. They experienced the same trials, the same torture. They worshipped God despite their circumstances. They worshipped God whether he was going to get them out of prison or not. They shared the same burdens. They were both leaders in the church. They were on mission together. Paul chose Silas, and they were in the marketplace together. They were physically imprisoned in this situation, but they were spiritually free. I want to challenge you tonight. Who are you worshipping with? Who right now are you doing life with? Who would you find yourself in a prison with praising God? Or would you find yourself in a prison alone cursing God? So in the middle of the night, God flings open the prison cells and causes men to turn back to him. Do you know how powerful your worship is? Salvations are resting on your worship. Miracles are resting on your praise and your prayer. Singing hymns of praise. Shackles are being broken off. They're resting on your worship. Radical transformation of entire households, including yours and mine, is resting on our worship. Joy is waiting. Baptisms are waiting. Peace is waiting. Darkness is exposed and brought into the light. Acts 16 verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they continually increased in number day after day. I don't know about you, but that is my prayer for this church, that we would see people coming back to God, that our numbers would be increasing day after day. Worship gives us strength. Have you been feeling tired and worn out, unmotivated? Maybe it's time to worship again. You know, T challenged me last year. We were both going through some difficult times in our lives. We'd both been focusing on things that were, 
you know, causing us pain, things that were distracting us, things that were causing us to lose motivation. And she said, girl, come over, let's just worship at the piano together. I can't explain to you what happened when we worshiped at that piano together, when you don't even have to have a good voice, you don't have to even be able to play guitar or an instrument, you can just put a Spotify playlist on, put on some worship. There's so much power when someone else is in that room with you, standing with you, singing those songs, declaring those things about God over our situations. There was opportunities, we we were able to pray for one another, I left that night feeling so encouraged, so activated, so ready to go again. So I encourage you, find somebody that you can worship with. It might be your spouse. It might be your friend. Somebody who will stand with you in the faith and in times of trial. Point number four tonight is worship is a lifestyle. You can't pick and choose when you worship God. Worship rests on us desiring to be in his presence. It's not a here and there thing. It's not when I feel like it or, you know, when the circumstances are good and when they're right. You have an opportunity to worship in your car on your way to work. You have an opportunity to put worship music on in your house. You have an opportunity to be a heart position towards God. It has to be our minds being focused on Him. This isn't a once a week thing. Worship is a posture of your heart. I'd even go as far to say that it's a state of your mind. It's about inviting the presence of God into your day. Worship is an outward expression of what already exists in our lives. We won't get it right every day, but we press on, we position ourselves for God to move again. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. This is our foundational text for this series. It says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on the goal, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Don't disqualify yourself because you got it wrong today. That's exactly what the enemy wants. He'll whisper these things to you and make you feel like, oh man, I forgot to read my Bible again, or I didn't have time, or... And you know, enough of that negativity in your mind, it it discourages you from even trying at all because you think, what's the point? I failed again. But I want to say to you, get up and go again. Worship again. Open your Bible again. Tomorrow is a new day for you to start again. No matter what it is, what you've done, no matter if you're thinking like, oh, God doesn't want to be spending time with me right now. He has no idea what I've been up to or what this week looks like. I don't even feel like spending time with God. That is the right time to spend time with God. That is your opportunity to just put a praise song on and declare who God is. So what are the benefits to worship? If you haven't already experienced them yourself, I encourage you, test this. Test this and see that the Lord is good. Peace 
is a benefit to worship, rest. It's a fruit. You'll start to experience rest, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, healing, contentment, love, service towards others. There's a physical and outward response that is obvious when you worship God. I love this psalm, Psalm 16, 7 to 8. It sums this up perfectly. It says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Praise is another aspect to worship. Praise is incredible. When you start taking your eyes off of yourself, just like Pastor Tim was sharing on before, and you start praising God for who He is and what He's going to do even when He hasn't done it yet, that is boldness. That is declaring, God, I need you. God, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I want you to do in my life. I'm going to praise you even though you haven't even done it yet because that is who He is. That is what he deserves. Thank you for listening to this podcast.